this morning, all right, I've got something, um, and sort of just unloaded yesterday, and I'm hoping that at least one part of it you can just catch and run with, um, because it's sort of something that's building up for a two years sort of thing. Um, a couple of years ago, I got given this, this kid in my class, bless his soul, uh, who really challenged every fiber of you, you know. I'm a primary school teacher. I've got, last year I had a group of year fours, um, and this boy was working on a lot, and I was working on a lot, and so, you know, we both just did this journey together, and one of the things that he struggled with and one of the things that he was working on was his emotions. Uh, he really only had two emotions. It was either good or he was angry. Really the two things, and he would flip between the two, and um, he, he would feel heaps. He would feel, um, you know, disappointment or frustration. He would feel all that, but he would call it anger, and he would respond either verbally or physically. Like, that's just all he knew, you know? Um, and so he was in my class, and I, I, and I decided that the first thing we would work on would be his emotions, because you can't have him sitting all in class all day flipping between good and angry, good and angry, you know? And so we worked on it, and we did role plays with the whole class, and we um, labeled and described different emotions, simple emotions, real easy emotions, you know, um, just so that he knew what to call them and he knew what it looked like when you felt sad and what it looked like when you felt frustrated. And we went through all these different emotions. And one of the things that we tried, because a lot of it didn't work, right? Heaps of stuff didn't work. One of the things that we tried and we've kept with it for the two years that I've had him is a check-in station. And so we've introduced this space in our class where pretty much um, you come up to the wall and you grab your name and you put it under what feeling you are at that moment, you know? So, of course, he didn't really have too many feelings, so we just did good, meh, or bad. That was it. The, the, the whole class would do it. They'd come up and you'd, you're, you're, you're either great, being good, you're meh in the middle, meh, you know, kids these days, meh, you know, um, or you're not doing so great, you're bad. That was it. And so he would come in, and um, for the first three terms, he was always great. Even if he was angry, he's great, all right, for three terms. And then eventually, he started realizing and recognizing different emotions, and, and he would, you know, maybe be me, meh, or be great. And it just flicked, flicked between those two. He never had a bad day, never had a bad day. He got angry, but never had a bad day. Um, and so, you know, eventually we built from there where I would check in with him verbally, and I'd, throughout the day, just always be like, hey, you know, how's it going? How how How's your day? Um, and he would be getting frustrated, and so I'd sit down next to him and be like, how are you doing, you know? Um, and he would start it out by just saying, I'm feeling angry all the time, and then we'd talk about, like, well, actually, what's going on? And we'd delve a little deeper and go, all right, now that is called frustration, or that is called, you know, something different. And so we worked on that for ages, and at the start, he would um, feel say anger, he would feel anger, and he would respond accordingly. He would respond verbally or physically to anger. Like, it could have been anything. It could have just been sad or disappointed. He would still respond with anger. And then by the end, um, this year, I'm not going to say in every circumstance, but in most scenarios, right, he would feel a certain way. He'll check in He'll stop, he'll think, he'll just check in and just go, all right, this is how I'm feeling, now how should I respond? Doesn't always work, of course, because, you know. Um, but by the end, we, we sort of got to this point where he was able to stop and think before he responded with his feelings. Because sometimes in life, we can get so caught up 
with our feelings that we almost let our feelings determine how we live. We almost let our feelings determine how we respond to something. And so he would always feel angry and respond accordingly. And so by the end, the aim of that journey was sort of to get him to like, cool, it's cool to feel angry. That's normal. Everyone feels angry. But now let's stop and think, okay, what can I do to try and fix this? And you know, this morning I want to preach on a chicken station. Because if there's one thing every Christian needs, it's a chicken station. And one of like the core places that you find it, and it's not really where you think, is Matthew 26. And this is sort of where I'm going to be sticking with for this message. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Gethsemane? Gethsemane. Ah, that's right. Honestly, I don't know. Gethsemane. Yep, there we go. Um, and it says this. Matthew 26. And you can flick there. It will be up on the screen. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the, to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Did anyone spot the chicken station? I don't know. Maybe. I didn't. Um, this is like an incredible time because, of course, Jesus is going through a lot as well, but it's incredible for the disciples because if you think about it, probably, I mean, what's happened from here is that they've, they've had the Last Supper, right? Jesus has sort of talked to them about what's going to happen. He's prayed with them. They've sung, sung some hymns and all that sort of stuff, and then they've finally left and have headed to this garden, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus becomes sorrowful. Like, if you think about the amount of different emotions that Jesus showed up until this point, there would be only like probably less than a handful. For the most part of the whole gospel, he's talked about as having compassion. That's probably his number one emotion that he showed. A couple of times he might have got angry, but other than that, there's probably not much. And all of a sudden, they get to this garden and Jesus just physically breaks down with sorrow. To the point of, he said, near death. Like in another, in Luke, Luke 22, verse 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, they've done this. There, there was nothing physically wrong with him, but he displayed, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain it properly, but he, he displayed an emotional pain in a physical way. You know, there's, there's this part of your brain that sort of registers pain. 
that part of your brain cannot tell the difference between an emotional pain and a physical pain. To the point, they've, they've done research where you can, you can have a broken leg or a broken heart and it would register as the same pain threshold. The pain of a broken leg had the similar circuitry as the anguish of a broken heart. And so there, there could be multiple reasons why Jesus is sort of in this state of being so sorrowful. Maybe it's that for so long he had preached about something that was going to come, something that was years away. He knew in that upper room what was going to happen. He knew he was going to be put on a cross. He knew he was going to um, be crucified. He knew he was going to be put in a tomb. He knew he was going to even rise again. He knew all of that. He knew the reality of the situation. But maybe it was just that all of a sudden, it's actually the day. Like, you know when you've got something stressful or something you're worried about and it's months away or it's years away and then all of a sudden it creeps up and you slowly get more and more anxious. You get more and more worried. It starts taking up more and more of your mental space and all of a sudden it's the day. Like it's hours away. It's happening. Jesus is in this place where he's, he's always talked about it happening in the future. He's always talked about it happening years away, but now it's actually, actually the time. This is when it's all going to go down, and maybe it just became a little bit overwhelming. Maybe it was the crucifixion. Maybe it was the thought that, man, in, like, in a very short time, I'm going to be put on a cross, I'm going to have nails go through my hands and through my feet. I'm going to be left there hanging in either the heat or the cold. I'm going to be left there with, with, with people mocking me while they put a spear in my chest. I'm going to be left there with my body getting weaker and weaker for hours, maybe even days. I don't know how long it's going to take that I'm going to be up there struggling with a sagging body, trying to lift myself up just so, I can, just so I can take a breath. Maybe it was the fact that this would be the first time, this would be the first time since ever, because God lives outside of, of time, but this, this would be the first time that Jesus would be separated from his Father. Maybe the agony that he was thinking about, maybe the, the reason he was so sorrowful and just in agony and pain was that in a very short time he would carry the weight of the world's sin and his own father would turn his back on him. This was the emotion that was welling up within him. God, I know that you've got this plan for me. I know the reality of the situation. I'm gonna be victorious. I'm gonna overcome. I know that. But I just don't feel like an overcomer. I don't feel victorious. And so Jesus did something incredible. He went to this garden to check in. That's why he went back multiple times to pray. That's why we need to go back multiple times to pray. I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't going to do it. Maybe if he was human like us, especially in this 21st century when we feel one ounce of negative emotion and we back out. We feel a little bit unhappy. 
we feel a little bit unsatisfied. And we take a step back and we say, actually, no, I can try it this other way. I feel a little bit betrayed. I'm not saying Jesus was going to do that. He knew, but he showed us a perfect template of checking in. He went back to his father. And he said, he pretty much just goes to me. He says, look, if it is possible, because I'm not really sure right now. Um, and this is, this is your purpose for my life, God. I know this is what we've, we've said that, you know, I'm going to die on this cross and I'm going to rise again three days later, but this is what I'm feeling over here. I feel a little bit betrayed. I feel hurt. I feel broken. I've got these enemies coming against me. I've got my own friends turning against me. This, this is how I feel right now, and it doesn't quite line up with what your purpose was for my life, so I'm just checking in to make sure, am I actually in the right place? Is this actually where you want me to be? And if it's possible, could you make this cup pass from me? But if it's not, then that's cool. I know that I'm in the right place, and I will take this cup. He's checking in. Church, when was the last time you checked in? When was the last time you thought, am I following God's purpose for my life, or am I following my feelings? Sometimes your feelings will line up with God's purpose, but not all the time. There will be seasons in life when God's purpose is this way, but you're over here feeling all alone. You're over, over here feeling broken. You're over here feeling unworthy. You're over here feeling like you're un, you, you just can't be used by God as you are. Nothing's working out. You're stuck. And you need a chicken with God to see, am I actually in the right place? And Jesus spends this time with God and he's going back and forth and eventually he comes to the point, to the point where, where he goes back to his disciples. And he says, look, the hour has come and the son of, the, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. He's made up his mind. He now knows what's clear. The Son of Man is to be delivered. He came into that moment of checking in and he was a little bit unsure. He knew God's purpose, but then he also had these feelings of emotion that were just overwhelming him to the point of sorrow, to the point where Scripture says even his disciples were overwhelmed with sorrow. In Luke, it talks about how he, he went back to his disciples and don't have it here, maybe I've got it up there. And they, um, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Just overwhelmed with the sorrow. Like you could imagine, imagine it just filling this room. And it's not saying that Jesus came away from that moment and all was well. He checked in with God. He sorted out, look, this is how I'm feeling and that's okay. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's okay to feel filled with sorrow. This is God's purpose. I've sorted the two out. I know what's from me and I know what's from God and I know that I'm in the right place even though it doesn't quite feel like it. It's possible, church, to be in the perfect will of God and not feel like it. 
And Jesus didn't go away from that moment, all is well, all is fine, I'm about to be betrayed. He still had that emotion. He still carried that agony even after checking in, but at least he knew he was in the right place. At least he didn't let his feelings decide his reality. At least he didn't let his feelings decide what path he was going to take. Could you imagine if he went into that garden and he felt so broken and hurt that his own disciple that had gone with him for so many years had suddenly turned his back on him and betrayed him for but a few coins. Imagine that hurt. Imagine that mistrust. He'd be fully right if, if living now, he would be fully fine to just take a step back and say, well, actually, you have betrayed me, so I'm going to go somewhere else. He said that, that line in there, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. It's possible to be in the perfect will of God. Your spirit is willing, but then your flesh and your feelings and your emotions are overwhelming. They're weakening you. Could you imagine if you were to bring Jesus to present day where it's okay for a man to show emotion and talk about his feelings and all that sort of stuff that we never really liked doing and we sat Jesus down and said, all right, Jesus, can you sort of explain what you were meaning about your, your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak? Imagine he sits down and he's like, well, look, I just, I feel like God called me to be victorious but I don't feel any of that victory. God called me to be an overcomer, but I don't feel that at the moment. In fact, I don't even see that. You might be sitting here and you feel like God's called you to a certain place and God's called you to, to enter into a certain season, but you can't see it around you. You're broken financial, financially, financially, financially. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe your family's tearing apart. Maybe you're alone. Maybe you've been stuck in that season for years. But church, I'm just here to say, you can't let your feelings decide how useful you are to God. Your feelings and what you can see around you do not decide what God can use. Have you checked in? When was the last time you checked in? If you checked in now, would you find out that maybe you've been following your emotions for a little bit too long? Maybe you've been letting your feelings about your workplace, your feelings about your career, your feelings about your family, your feelings about yourself decide what path you take. I feel unworthy. I feel like I've been just broken in, in broken relationships for so many years. I don't deserve anyone. I feel depressed. I feel unworthy. I can't be used by God. Don't let your feelings decide 
how God can use you. You can be filled with worry and grief and still be used by God. You can be broken and hurt and still be used by God. You can be overwhelmed and filled with so much grief and worry and anxiety and fear and depression and still be used by God. Don't let your feelings decide your usefulness to God. You know, we were um, going for a hike a month or so ago and there's a bunch of us, like six guys, going in this uh, forest, Pinnacles. We're doing the Pinnacles. Terrible decision, don't do the Pinnacles. But the, the, the day before we did that, we did a smaller walk. Like it's only like 30 minutes sort of thing, you know, just to go and explore nature. And you can see all these amazing Cody trees, these incredible New Zealand native trees, so strong. And you get to the end, there's this massive as one. Like it's not the biggest, but it's huge. It's, it was really big. And um, one of the guys was talking about this, this Cody tree stump that they've found, and it's just like, it's just stunning, these scientists. And as I was sort of, you know, getting this message out, it, it just kept coming back to me, and so I looked into it a little bit, read some articles, and these guys in West Auckland have gone into this forest, and these two scientists were just going for a hike, and as they went for a hike, they came across this tree stump, this Cody tree stump. And they sort of just, you know, rested there for a bit. I don't even know why you'd rest there. It's not even a nice tree stump. It is like, you know, there's those tree stumps that you can stand on. And you like, you know, you do whatever you do on a tree stump. And um, it's not even like that. Like, there's like, it's tiny. It's super thin. It's got like wound tissue on top from where it was cut. And it doesn't even look pretty. To any other observer, other than these two scientists, or any other scientists, really, I don't know, but to any normal person, right, it would be dead. You would just classify it as a stump. It's a stump, that's what it is, it's dead. But these guys saw some sort of colorings and things on the outside that made them think, hey, maybe actually this tree stump is still alive. It's been chopped down, it's got no green foliage, so technically it can't get any of that whole photosynthesis thing where it gets the nutrients through the green leaves. I'm not a scientist, guys, honestly. I'm a, yeah. So what, how that thing going on, right? Getting nutrients through the leaves and all that. It's got none of that, but somehow it's got the right colorings and stuff that it's somehow getting enough nutrients because you can't get it all through the roots, but it's getting enough somehow to stay alive. So they bring everyone back and they do all this research. This is New Zealand for you. Stumped by a tree stump. Hey. <laughs> and they do all this research and what they find out is that beneath the ground, the roots of that Cody tree have intertwined with other Cody tree nearby. And that act like the, the other trees are feeding the nutrients that it needs to stay alive. So they then conclu con concluded, man, I'm getting all my words mixed up. They then concluded that while this tree was still alive and standing strong, it connected itself with, with roots around it to pass nutrients so that if I can get good nutrients here, I'll pass that along and it sort of goes down the whole chain. That's why there's the Cody dieback and, and all that because if there's a disease in it, it'll be easily passed through all the systems. So you should scrub your feet when you go into hikes. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, so they found that while this tree was good and strong, it had connected itself with something that could feed it. So that when it wasn't having a good day, it could still be fed. When those around it weren't having a good day, it could still feed them. 
And then when someone decided for whatever reason to chop this tree down, they probably didn't count on the fact that it found its life source from something else. That even though it looked dead, even though it looked like it wasn't much on the outside, even though it looked like it was stuck in this, in this situation for the rest of its life, that it was dead, it was able to still be fed from other things. Don't let what you see and what you feel determine how you live your life. As believers, we have a life source from something else, that it doesn't look at what's on the outside. It doesn't look at how you're feeling. It doesn't look at how you feel stuck and broken and hurt and you can't move and you're grieving and you just have been in this period for years and years and years, but you have something within you. You have a life source from Jesus that can feed you. That's why it's so important to get connected in a connect group. That's why it's so important when life is well and all's, all's going good and you don't need other people around you because you're perfect just the way you are, you got to get around people who can, who can stay connected and you can feed them and then when life hits you, because it will, life will hit you, they can feed you. That's the power of a connect group. So that when you're feeling like you're unworthy and you're feeling like there's no point carrying on, like you can't move into this new season, those people around you can speak Jesus into your life. They can feed you with the nutrients you need. Don't let your feelings determine how you live your life. Don't let your feelings determine your usefulness to God. I'll be teaching math in class and, or any subject, really. And this boy, from the start, he, would, um, he struggles with something called task initiation. I'll close with this. Task initiation is pretty much like um, you can do the same task a hundred times and he'll still struggle with the same things. So like would start and say it was just a worksheet for anything and um, I'll sit down and I'll do it with him. And I'll help him. And I'll pretty much do it for him the first time, right? You know, just like tell him what to do, tell him where to put stuff, everything like that. And then the next time I might loosen up a little bit and I'll let him do a little bit more of the work. I'll still help him. I'll still be there for him and everything like that. Don't want him getting angry, you know, stuff like that. And then maybe the third or fourth time I'll slowly step back a little bit more, a little bit more. And in the hopes that eventually he would have done the same worksheet so many times that he'll be able to do it by himself. But this, this child struggles with that initiation. And so he will sit down, you know, after the 10th time of doing it. And I'm just, you know, a couple of meters away. And he will still get frustrated and annoyed. Unsure if what he's doing is actually right. And then, you know, in the start, he, he would just resort to anger straight away. But we slowly worked that out. And so he, would, he was able to come up and ask. And every time he would be pretty much asking the same question, making sure, checking in. Checking in before he responded with his feelings. Checking in to make sure, am I actually doing the right thing? Because he always knew what to do. It was just his feelings would get in the way and he would start responding with frustration and anxiety that maybe I'm doing it all wrong. Maybe you're here and you're feeling like, God really, I'm not really sure if I can be used by God. Maybe I'm doing it all wrong. 
there is something powerful about checking in. There is something powerful about not responding with your emotions. That as soon as you feel unhappy, as soon as you feel unworthy, as as soon as you feel like everything's overwhelming and people are, are crowding around you and you're being mocked, maybe you're being persecuted, maybe your workplace is falling apart, maybe your career is falling apart, where it doesn't look like you're in the in, in the right place, there is something powerful about checking in before you respond with your emotions, before you pull out entirely. Have you checked in? Have you been following your feelings for the past season? There's times in life where your feelings will align with God's call and that's great. But there are other seasons where God's calling and where you're at don't look like they quite meet. to make sure you are checking in and that you've connected your roots with those around you so that when they don't align, you can still be fed. That's the power of checking. Your feelings do not determine your usefulness to God. Come on, church, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you that there's power in your name. We thank you that you have called us, that you have entrusted each of us the measure of faith that we need for the season we are in. And Lord God, we might be in a season right now where it doesn't quite align. And Lord God, I just pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to check in the courage and strength to stay connected, the courage and strength to call on you, Lord God, to ensure we are being fed. Lord God, we thank you for where you have placed us and we give you all the glory in your mighty name we say, amen.